Welcome to Golf Better at Edwin Watts Golf. Episode 166. Hello again, everyone. My name is Tom Brussell, and thanks so much for joining us. We say it every time. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time subscriber, either way, we are glad you found us. Kicking off our episode today is a very special guest joining us from out in California, Santa Ana, California, to be exact. He's the Vice President of Marketing for Worldwide Golf Shops, Mr. Ben McAllister. Ben, thanks so much for spending some time with us, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having us here. This is really special. Tell us what's going on, because we've got some cool stuff happening, not only with Edwin Watts Golf and Worldwide Golf, but the two of them together, correct? That's right. Yeah, we're excited to announce the completion of Worldwide Golf's acquisition of Edwin Watts Golf Shops. We strongly believe that Edwin Watts brand, the stores, and the employees really exemplify what we strive here at Worldwide Golf, which is outstanding customer service. Well, tell us a little bit about you guys, about, uh, I should say, about us guys, Worldwide Golf. That's great news. That's right, yeah. Well, first and foremost, we're golfers here at Worldwide Golf and, of course, Edwin Watts. We've been in the golf business for a very long time. We understand golf equipment. We understand custom fitting. We understand the game, and that really helps us relate to the customers that walk into our golf shops. And I know there's been a lot of confusion on the future of Edwin Watts Golf, and I'm here to let everybody know that we're here to stay. We're going to continue to offer newest products from the top manufacturers, and we are implementing our famous 90-day satisfaction guarantee with all purchases. Now, I've seen that on some email blasts. I've seen it on the, on the website. Tell us mm-hmm. about the 90-day mm-hmm. uh, satisfaction guarantee because that's very, very unique. Yeah, well, Tom, as golfers, we understand how important it is to take a golf club out on the golf course and play a couple rounds with it to really get comfortable with it. And we also understand that sometimes it just doesn't work out. So we allow customers to bring back anything they purchase within 90 days of purchase for full 100% store credit towards another purchase. And again, I think that speaks volumes to our commitment to customer satisfaction. Well, that is awesome. And we'll know more about Worldwide Golf, you and everything else as we go on. And also exciting is you've decided to keep on with the podcast and social media. And you guys have a, a, laund- a laundry list of guests that we'll be interviewing over the next few months, correct? That's right. That's right. We're really looking forward to it. We're going to set up some uh, some great guests and uh, keep on forging ahead with the great program that you have here. Well, awesome, my friend. We'll, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks for joining us. Thank today. you very much. Thanks. Our featured guest today really needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. He has over 90 worldwide wins, including two Open Championships, almost had a third a couple years ago. He's joining us from down in his base of operations in Jupiter, Florida, courtesy of our friends at Cobra Puma. Mr. Greg Norman. Greg, thanks so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you on Golf Better with us. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, it's actually uh, great to be on with you, and uh, thanks for doing a great job on what you guys do for the game of golf as well. Well, we appreciate it. I wanted to turn the clock way back, Greg, because everybody knows about your time on tour and, and, and the major championships, but let's go way back to when you picked the game up. I read somewhere you picked it up a little, started a little bit late, right, around age 15? Yeah, I was 15 going on 16, actually, um, my parents, my father, actually changed positions um, uh, in one of the cities he was working in. So when we moved, I left all my friends behind. And from there, I was uh, had nothing else to do, really. So I had to start all over again from a friendship and a sport deal, dropping the cricket and dropping the rugby and, and the Aussie rules football that I was playing. So, you know, one day I was... <coughs> Went with my mother on a Saturday morning for her local club competition, and I pulled a golf cart, you know, a three, two-wheeler golf cart around, not a three-wheeler, two-wheeler, and uh, took the golf clubs out and 
after she had finished, when she was going in for a cup of tea and figured if she, you know, five foot four, a hundred pound ringing wet, she could play the game to a three handicap that she was on at the time, then I could play it. And so I played the last four holes um, without any lessons, without any clinics, junior clinics, and I played the last four holes, figured it was, you know, a sport that I loved, and that kicked me off. Pretty much self-taught, right? I think the the story, again, goes you went from a 27 to a scratch in about 15 months, working working it out yourself? Yeah, that's correct. My, my first official score was 108. Uh, my first official handicap was 27. Um, and then um, 18 months later, um, I went from a 27 down to a scratch. And then a couple of years later, I won my first golf tournament. Yeah, you started working in a shop too, didn't you, and then, then found your way over to the States? Well, that's correct. The only way I could get um, uh, permission to play or the right to play a PGA Tour event in Australia was you had to complete a, the Professional Golfers Association of Australia, just like the PGA of America here. You had to uh, complete a three-year uh, apprentice course in a pro shop. Um, that means passing exams, understanding the retail business, how to, um, you know, buy and sell, how to do inventory, all that stuff. And uh, so I accelerated that at uh, my request. I asked him if I could do the three-year course in the first year. Fortunately, I passed all the exams, and um, that gave me the ability to short track it a little bit or shortcut it to allow me to get out there and play some um, tournaments. And uh, fortunately for me, I won the third tournament I ever played in, and I was up and running from there. Once you got over to the States, what's the first thing that really stood out to you that was uh, that was different and challenging and obviously what helped make you successful? Well, I really didn't get over to the States. I mean, this was in 76, 77 when I first ventured out. I, I started um, grooming myself really going through the Asian tour. I went up to play in Japan, and from there I went over in 77. I started my um, sojourn on the European tour. And, uh, you know, really cut my teeth on tournament play there. Fortunately, I won the first tournament I ever played in Japan, and then I won the third tournament I ever played in Europe. So I got off to a very, very fast start in 77. Um, and it wasn't until 81 did I come to the United States. Um, but, you know, I just didn't want to come rocking into the United States because it was really intimidating in my mind because, um, you know, this was, this was the place to be to challenge the best players in the world. So I needed to improve my my skills on the golf course and off the golf course. I had to improve my cultural awareness um, before I ventured over here, which, and then, like I said, in 81, I decided time was ready, and I came over here, and again, I was fortunate enough, so I jumped off to a fast start with uh, Congressional. Uh, legend goes that Jack was a big influence, Jack Nicholas. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Um, instead of reading my physics books in school, I was reading uh, Golf My Way by Jack Nicklaus, trying to improve on posture and grip and all that stuff, and, and worked on my five basics. Um, I was doing junior clinics at the time. I wasn't having individual lessons, but I was reading Jack's books, and, and I, was, uh, yeah, I still even have my notes today um, that I used to write down for my practice sessions and trying to incorporate Jack's um, lessons that he had written in his book. So he had a huge influence on me. I, I met him um, very early on in my career, um, when I played with him in the Australian Open, so that was an intimidating experience in its own right. But um, we've stayed friends ever since, and he was a you know, big influence most of the time wherever we went because our names were alpha, you know, Nicholas Norman alphabetically. Our locker rooms were pretty close to each other. So I always had the opportunity to um, ask him a question, which was I was never afraid of doing. 
Well, Jack didn't ground the club at address. I noticed that you didn't do that as well. Is it, was that part of part of the uh, the legacy? I guess. Yep, absolutely. He he has that written in his book, and the reason why he he did that was to maintain constant grip pressure, and it, it actually worked. Um, yeah, so I I maintain that practice. I don't do it today, but I maintain that practice all through my my heyday. And it's passed on down. I don't know if you saw the episode of Faraday with Matt Kuchar. He said. Uh, I saw Greg Norman do that, and that looked kind of cool, so I figured I'd do it too. Greg Norman was cool. I'd do it. <laughs> well, I did not see that, but, uh, yeah, but that was you know, Jack Nicholas was the reason why I did it, so I'm glad I could hand down the Jack's legacy to some degree. Well, like Jack Nicholas, Greg, major championships were the, were the benchmark and were very, very important to you. I wanted to talk about the first one over in, in 86, uh, the Open Championship. Look, that was uh, Turnbury, and it was a wild weather week, um, and the golf course was probably set up the tightest fairway width-wise um, I'd ever played any golf course, even to this, all the years afterwards. Um, I believe we were measuring the fairways down sometimes around 12, 14 yards wide. Uh, but where the, where the real trouble was, the thickness of the rough off the fairway. There wasn't any transition. Um, he just went straight into heavy rough. And I do remember, even today, there were a couple of players complaining about their wrist getting really sore because of the um, situation of the rough being heavy and wet. And uh, there was even talk about, you know, withdrawals because of how severe it was. But, um, and that really played into my strength. Uh, I was a great driver of the golf ball. I never had any intimidation by seeing how narrow a fairway, fairway was. Um, so it really played into my strength, and the weather conditions also did, um, because I, I enjoyed the adverse conditions, because everybody else was complaining. I actually used to practice in heavy wind and rain. So when um, you know, the, the, the weather conditions turned for the worse, it actually turned for my better. And uh, I drove the ball extremely well that week, and um, you know, gave me enough of a separation. And it was an interesting year, because you know, I was leading all four majors uh, at um, at some stage during that year on a Saturday. So it was a fairly uh, uh, interesting year for me that, um, that to win the British Open out of all four of them was probably, you know, I love the Masters. It's my favorite. I love the U.S. Open. I wish I'd won all the other three of them at the same time. But the British Open was um, something that I'd, I'd always wanted to win. Well, leading all four majors going into the final round in 86, that was something that uh, everybody Everybody really dreamed of doing. Back to Turnberry and the severity of the course, do you think that came into play because of, what was it, 10 years earlier when Tom Watson and, and Nicholas battled in the sun and everybody thought it was going to be severe, but it turned out to be, I think, 66, 65 the last two days? Yeah, well, two, no, totally different weather conditions. Yeah. One was hot and dry and fast, and the other one was wet, windy, and long. So, yeah, they, uh, that's where you, you really should never sit up and set up a golf course um, because of what's happened in the past. You set up the golf course for what the conditions present to you, and um, you know, I think the RNA learned their lesson then because it, it was extremely difficult. Um, yeah, there were very, very high scores, and you know, Lynx golf course is tough as it is. Um, you, know, you need to give the players the ability to, to get their ball around and, and, and play some Lynx-style shots, um, but under those circumstances, you, you couldn't even use the fairway topography to to your benefit because it was so narrow greg let me ask you about one tournament i think in my personal opinion it's a major championship of the heart and that was 1988 
at uh, Harbortown Golf Links over at Sea Pines, a Heritage Classic. Uh, you won that tournament, but something was very special. I was I was there in person, and I've, I guess I've been waiting 25 years to ask you about this, but what a week that was. Can you just take it from there and you run with it? Well, yeah, that's the MCI Heritage Classic. Um, and I'd been approached by Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, there was a young kid called Jamie Hutton um, who had uh, Crohn's disease. And he wanted to come down and meet me. So we did the organizing, and um, I agreed to it. And uh, he came down to Harbor Town, and we kind of hit it off. Uh, he was a, just a sweetheart of a kid, and he'd never seen uh, pine, uh, palm trees, excuse me. He'd never seen the beach. He'd never seen the Atlantic Ocean. So, um, you know, I kind of embraced him, and he embraced me because our, our spirits were very much the same. And at the end of the day, you know, he walked around with me. He wasn't going to stay all tournament week, but he decided to stay. And, um, you, know, uh, and you know, obviously, fortunately for me, I won the golf tournament. And, and I just uh, gave him the trophy because it meant more to him than me because, you know, I, I was pretty confident I was going to go win other golf tournaments as well to win more trophies. But for him, it was a, an inspiration for him to, to be there. Um, and it was a, he was an inspiration for me as well to see what he had battled through and what he was going to continue battling on with. Um, so, you know, the kindness of my heart, I said, hey, this is all yours. Take it. And um, this is your trophy. Yeah, and he was inside the ropes with you the whole week, pulling for his hero. It's almost like, I guess, compared to the, you know, Babe Ruth hitting one out of the park for the kid. I mean, the pressure must have been huge. Or, or maybe was it? Maybe, maybe we were just in the moment. No, look, I think for my situation, I, uh, you know, when I get inside the ropes, my number one priority is to go and, you know, perform in the golf tournament and do the best I possibly can. You know, looking across and seeing Jamie was, you know, an inspiration to see the smile on his face and seeing the, seeing him being rewarded for something he's never experienced before in his life. Um, you know, it was a good feeling for me, but my priority was, you know, stay focused on your golf. If, if you win, fantastic. And, uh, and if you win, you're also giving a, a good time to to young Jamie. Yeah, like I said, that was a that was a major championship of the heart from you, Greg Norman. Hey, as we close, you're here with our uh, courtesy of our friends, Cobra Puma. Back with Cobra, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a full circle. Um, when I think about where I came with Cobra back in the days of Tom Crow and in the late '70s, um, what we used to, what it, when I used to call Tom up and ask him for a set of golf clubs when I was really a nobody. Um, and he would be very kind and open uh, to give me, send me a set of golf clubs to, from there going in and actually buying into Cobra as a company, um, acquiring 12% of it uh, back in the 80s, and then seeing the evolution of the company, where a Kushnit or, uh, came in and acquired it for the amount of money they did, um, and then seeing Cobra get repositioned now uh, with Puma. It's just fantastic, and for me, obviously, to be back, um, being involved and having discussions from research and development and seeing where technology is going today, um, you know, there's no better feeling. And it goes to show you that uh, you know, the ladder you climb going up can be the same ladder going down. So you better make sure that you, you make sure every rung of those ladders you put your foot on getting becomes successful, the same rungs of ladders on the way on the backside, because important things like this come through. And, uh, yeah, the, the relationship I have now through all the people in the Cobra Puma uh, deal, even from retailers you know, like you guys, it's just a phenomenal feeling to have that uh, I've actually gone through about 40 years of my golf career uh, either on or off with one particular company, which is Cobra. Uh, I guess 
That's great advice, Greg. Final thoughts for our listeners as, as we close out. Some final words from Greg Norman. Well, I think that yeah, just where the game of golf is, I think it's just an interesting perspective um, that I have because I do so much global travel. Uh, we all know in the United States here, it's in a bit of a bit of a lull at the moment. It's stagnant, and uh, you know, I think right now we see a little bit of light on the horizon. We're going to start seeing the game of golf pick up. The, I think there's some inventory being washed through in the real estate market, which opens up. Uh, you know, the possibility of real estate developments into the future on golf courses. Uh, but at the same time, I think now you're starting to see um, from the, the professional ranks the game of golf. I don't think it's, been, uh, it's never been healthier on a global front. We're seeing that uh, the balance of players, just look who, you know, Matsuyama winning the Memorial Tournament and seeing the quality of players now coming out of Japan, coming out of Korea. Uh, the players on the LPGA Tour that comes out of China, uh, great players out of Australia, all around the world, no matter whether it's the LPGA or the, uh, the, the PGA Tour, uh, you're starting to see these guys and gals really, really push the global horizon. And I actually love that. I think the more we get on a global front, the better off we are. The more golf grows in China, the better off it's going to be in, in the United States. Uh, so, and then you look at the retail outlets like yourself, who do, have done a phenomenal job managing the, the, the negative business um, cycle that inevitably takes place, whatever number of years, seven years, ten years. Your business model is, uh, is fantastic because you've survived the test of um, the downturn. So, you know, I just love seeing where the industry is um, and the industry gets stronger after the weakness. And uh, I see that not changing at all here in the United States. I see it coming back bigger and stronger, the game of golf, uh, than it was before. Well, Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for what you and your brand and brands have done for the game. It's uh, certainly moved us to the next level, and uh, maybe we can do it again down the road in the future. Thanks so much. I'd love to do it with you again, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, have a great day. Thanks, Greg. What great advice and, uh, and some great insight from the great one himself, the great white shark, uh, Greg Norman. Thanks again to uh, Greg for joining us and our friends at Cobra Puma for setting it up and to you, our listeners. And we'll do it again next time. We have another episode of Golf Better at edwinwattsgolf.com. So long, everyone.